As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague, Paul Tenorio. And Paul, we are in the middle of the MLS transfer window. We're like literally right in the middle of the secondary window right now, maybe to the day as we sit here recording this. And the biggest move of the last, oh, seven, eight days hasn't involved a player, but an executive. So we are going to get into that on the show. We are also going to talk about some players and some potential moves. The MLSPA released released the list, released, combined a couple of words there. I don't know what happened. Going too fast, too much coffee. Uh, They released the list of upcoming free agents for this offseason earlier in this week. So we'll break that down a little bit. And then you know, dive into a couple of interesting potential moves, things that are being discussed around MLS with Tati Castellanos potentially heading to Girona in Spain and Cristiano Rango potentially being, you know, I don't know if shopped is the right word, but LAFC looking into into moving a striker who has done nothing really but score goals for them over the last couple of months. But anyway, Paul, that's the rundown. Should we start with Darren Eels? I think we have to, Sam. I mean, not only was it the biggest move of this window so far, but this thing was kept really quiet. I mean, really quiet. When you talk to people um, on both sides of the situation, it, t- it sounded like not many people were aware in either club that this this announcement was going to happen outside of the very highest ranking um, officials. And it has a huge, huge impact on what has been one of the most important clubs in Major League Soccer mm-hmm. since they entered the league. And and Darren Eels... Is- have we... Have we mentioned where he's going? Yeah, I don't I, even know. I don't okay. think Darren Eels is going to. Well, it's right there uh, for those watching on YouTube. For those listening, you have no clue. Darren Eels is leaving to go to Newcastle from Atlanta United. He's the president of Atlanta United. And not just that, I think in a lot of ways, he has been the face of Atlanta United, certainly because other faces have changed. Tata Martino, I think, was kind of the um, face. Joseph Martinez and Miguel Amiron, of course, have been. I would say know, Joseph probably associated, but Darren, he built this thing. You know, he, he was hired m- multiple years before um, Atlanta United started playing. He built, he helped to build this team with Carlos Bocanegra and Paul McDonough initially building the training facility, um, you know, building the roster, hiring Tata Martino, hiring Tata Martino, 
um, hiring Bocanegra and, and McDonough, hiring um, a lot of the, the front office officials that we don't talk as much about that played a big role in the popularity of the club within the city of Atlanta, the marketing that, that did so well um, to ignite that fan base. He, he is a central, central piece of the success of Atlanta United, both on and off the field. And I would say, you know, certainly has a hand in their lack of success on the field in the yeah. last couple of years. So this is, um, you know, if I were to pick a president of a club that is maybe the most important to kind of the, you know, the success or failures or has their hand in it more than anyone else, you know, he's one of the top three I would put in there. I'd probably say, you know, Bill Manning in Toronto, certainly we know has been incredibly, incredibly active on the player side as well. Chris Klein, we went over the impact of Chris Klein at the Galaxy. But I, I think Darren Eels is, is right up there at the top. We're near the top. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And he'll, of course, be leaving in a couple of weeks when he will go over to Newcastle, which, you know, Saudi Arabian owned club. There's a whole can of worms there as well and, and kind of sports washing and, and that attempt. And Eels, for better or worse, um, is now going to be a major player in that effort as well, which bears mentioning. Um, it's also kind of, I think, one of the more interesting from a purely sporting perspective, soccer projects going on anywhere in the world right now, right? They're trying to follow in the footsteps of Man City and PSG owned by United Arab Emirates and Qatar, respectively. Um, UAE, of course, also owns CFG, which owns NYCFC. So if we're going to go down that road, um, everybody's compromised, right? In all things, yeah. but, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to have big ramifications both domestically here in MLS, obviously locally for Atlanta. Um, but Paul, one of the interesting things to me, and, and I had a prominent MLS executive call me, I was actually driving, uh, to a wedding last Friday when this news broke. And so I learned of the eels move to Newcastle from this phone call and one of the things that the the person was talking with me about was, hey, do you think this could be maybe maybe the start of something a little bit bigger, where maybe MLS executives kind of move over in greater numbers or more frequency to teams in England? And I was very skeptical of that when it was first brought up. But then you think about it a little more. Eels is not the first to do this to move from MLS to England. We saw Kevin Thelwell leave Red Bulls. He was the head of sport, um, left them in February to go be director of football for Everton. We saw Dane Murphy be technical director of DC United, never running a club or a sporting department in MLS, go get hired as CEO of Barnsley in the championship, did a couple of seasons there. The latter season, you know, they made a really shocking run to the promotion playoffs they didn't quite get there but then he gets hired by nottingham forest and they immediately get promoted and now he's ceo of a premier league team at age like 36 or something like that which is kind of a wild story and then just earlier this week you have tom glick who previously worked for cfg and was briefly president of nycfc and most recently was the president of tepper sports entertainment which is the organization that runs owns the carolina panthers and of course owns Charlotte FC. Um, he is now, I believe, president of business is his title for Chelsea and their new American ownership group. So that's that's four guys right there who moved from MLS or at least an MLS adjacent job straight to running a team or a sporting department in England. And that's kind of, I mean, when you that's kind of remarkable, Paul. Yeah. 
And, and, and that's skipping over a name that I was going to bring up later as a potential candidate for, for Arthur Blank to consider. Um, Ivan Gazidis, who was a vice president of Major League Soccer. Yeah. He, he moved over to, to run Arsenal. Yep. Ran Arsenal for more than a decade. Is he, 11, still, 11 is he years. still at AC Milan? He left and went to AC Milan, and he took an AC Milan team that was essentially bankrupt. They, they, they were in a lot of trouble when he took over in 2018, and they won Serie A last year. Um, and he's been a big part of, of that transformation of that club. Um, and again, this is somebody who got who, who came up in the soccer business at Major League Soccer headquarters. Um, yep. And was a VP of MLS when he left to go to Arsenal. So you you can even go back a little further um, with him and and see the impact. I'm not sure if Lightwicky has done that yet. Has it gone to Europe? I, I would imagine he's consulted a bit there. But you know, Gazidis and now these four more recent moves and now Eels. Certainly, there looks like there's a little bit more of a pathway. So, so what do you what do you make of it though? Because you know, I'm I'm writing a piece about this. Full disclosure, it'll probably be out by the time this episode. It, airs but you know eels is english before he came to atlanta he was an exec with tottenham fellwell also english before he came to the red bulls he was a high-ranking i think he was sporting director for a while with wolves i think in the case of fellwell he didn't really improve or up his resume in his brief time in mls i think he probably could have gotten that job had he just stayed in england and never come to Red Bulls. I think with Eels, he needed to run Atlanta United and run it the way he did, mostly successfully, in order to get that job at Newcastle. But both English guys, both with with connections in that league and networks in that country. Murphy, a little bit different, started at a lower level. Glick, a lot of experience in those spaces, and then gets hired by an American owner. So all four kind of unique paths and not necessarily easy to replicate ones. So I don't know if it's a situation where we're going to start seeing MLS GMs or presidents make this move. But I think there are some qualities, rightly or wrongly, I'm not really sure. But I think there are some qualities and stereotypes and generalizations of North American sports executives that would work in favor of an MLS GM or president maybe potentially making a move to that part of the world. What, what do you yeah. think though? Do you, th- well, do you think that this is something that could, that could grow or, or is it, is it just kind of a one-off? I think both. I think that all of these are kind of unique one-offs the way you pointed out their paths are all different. Some of them came from England and are going back. Some are, you know, connections, personal connections that got them interviews for the, the roles. Um, and, you know, but I do think that we we've seen this huge movement of American sports owners in England and I think that nine, that will, nine Premier League clubs, either wholly or partially owned by Americans. Right. And then you go throughout Europe and you see all the different American owners in, in leagues, you know, all over Europe. So, yes, I do think we're going to see more of those owners hiring American executives, partly because of, you know, Americans have, I think, were, have a little bit of a head start in kind of how they worked commercially within sport. And, and I think we could see those executives, not just for Major League Soccer, but, you know, from Major League Baseball and the NFL, NBA, make those moves over because, you know, you have owners who have multiple teams and multiple sports that are going to be looking at executives that they find to be successful. I mean, would it surprise you if Theo Epstein was doing something for Liverpool, um, you know, via John Henry? Like, no, that wouldn't be a surprising announcement for me if that ever happened. You know, it would make sense in some ways. Um, 
I, I think it'll be interesting to see how much of a move more movement there is from major league soccer. Like I mentioned before, you know, Darren Eels stood out, you know, when you try to create a list of potential replacements, it's, it's not easy because of how involved Darren Eels was and how forward facing he was in Atlanta. It's not all like that in major league soccer, but you know, I, I do think that again, there are going to be more owners who look to this side of things to try to maximize their business, this side of the ocean to yeah. try to say, what can we do to make the most money possible to um, drive more revenue commercially and to take more advantage of the American market? Um, yeah. But I, I don't think, know. I don't know. I that think that's the main way. thing. I think that's the main thing in this discussion is kind of, I think the perception having spoken to people who have worked with premier league clubs among some of those clubs is that if you're going to succeed in business in sports in the U S you have to, you know, be super professional, do everything above board. Everything has to be kind of well run and you have to have good relationships with corporate America. And that's the biggest area or one of the biggest areas of potential growth for the premier league corporate America. Right. And, and just America in general, this is a, this is a market that they continue to look, to tap into. And so I'll be curious to see if, if kind of the executive part of that follows suit. Um, I do think in some ways those guys are well positioned and I think bizarrely, Paul, this is going to sound weird coming from me, but bizarrely, I think, I think the MLS roster rules might even help <laughs> some of these guys as UEFA maybe looks to tighten down on financial fair play. I'm not saying that it'll help at a club like Manchester city or Chelsea where they're spending oodles and oodles of cash, but you know, at a lower level, Premier League yeah, it probably side, helped Dane Murphy, right? It probably helped exactly. Dane Murphy in Nottingham Forest. Exactly. That ability to kind of like really understand a budget and not just a budget, but like really allocate resources in a, in a targeted strategic way. That's a valuable quality. And that's something that the good ones in MLS have to do and have to understand. So I think that that will definitely be interesting, but let's, let's focus on Atlanta here. You know, who do you think is is in the running or should be in the running rather to replace Eels? Yeah, I mean, I have two names that I thought were reaches that you you reach out to, you see if they're interested. It's likely gonna be a no, but if you want like a home run, home run higher, you know, Ivan Gazidis, like I said, you know, has been extremely successful at AC Milan, knows the league, good friends with Nelson Rodriguez and others at league headquarters, Don Garber certainly. Um would be a fantastic hire, but he has been incredibly successful at AC Milan. I don't think he'll necessarily be looking to leave from there. Um, another name that I thought was intriguing that would be, would shock the football world internationally is Michael Edwards. Um, he was the sporting director of Liverpool. Um, <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul. He, he left, he left the business. He wanted to take a break for family reasons. He hasn't gone anywhere else. Well, he, he just left. He took a break. It's been it's been a while now. It's been a few months. Been, oh, you know, it's been like months. two. It's been like two months. Hasn't no, it? it's been longer than that. But you know, you make a phone call and you just ask because look, you could come to Atlanta United and it's a much different role than being a sporting director at a top European club. Maybe he has. He's younger. He's in his forties. He's got two. He's got a few young children. You know, this could be something that's a little bit better of a work life balance for him. I don't know. I think it's worth. A phone call. Why not? Call Why not make a call? Can't hurt you, right? So then I get down to kind of my more realistic candidates. I've got seven candidates and then one longer term 
you know, seven you groom for the job. Yeah, seven names that I came you up with. Thought about this. Are you gonna I leave have, any for me or not? I'm, well, I'm working on a piece um, with with Felipe, so I'll I'll start with. Um, well, actually, why don't why don't you start because I feel like there's a few names you'll mention that I can cross off my list, and then I'll get to some of my more random ones. I mean, I think if you're Atlanta and you're looking internally or domestically, rather, I think you start with Garth Lagerwey. Yeah. He's he told Grant to top of my list. He told Grant Wall that he's out of contract at the end of the year. He's got his Sounders GM vote coming up. Um, you know, would he want to leave Seattle? I have no idea. He's got a pretty good thing going there. Um, you know, I was at the CCL final and he was like literally bouncing up and down when he was talking about how excited he was to go to the Club World Cup next year. So, you know, he would have to leave that behind, which would be, I think, a real thing for him. But Atlanta is is a prime job, maybe the prime job in MLS. So I think I think that is a call that you absolutely should and need to make. Um, would he take it? I don't know. But it, like like we said, can't hurt to make the phone call. Well, I think the question is going to be, what does Arthur Blank want in this role? Right. You know, Darren Eels was more business centric, though he had his hand in soccer. I, and I don't know. Soccer. I mean, it seemed like the big signings. He was very involved in. He was. He was involved in soccer, but I mean, there's he, there's a reason he's staying the, until the end of the secondary transfer window. Right. He came to Atlanta United with more business background than soccer background, though he was working for a club. But what what they liked about Darren was that he had his hand in both. So if you hire Garth Lagerway, you know what he can do with the soccer department. You know what he can do with the soccer department. The question would be, what can he do on the business side? But what I like about that setup right now in Atlanta United for Garth Lagerway is there are a lot of really good people in place on the business side of Atlanta United. Also, highly oh, respected. Yeah. Have been very successful. Those executives that are under Darren Eels on the business side would, wouldn't have to leave. And they you know, can continue doing what they've been doing. And, you know, Garth Lagerway has worked in a club clubs for a very long time. He is a lawyer who worked at Latham and Watkins, a respected law firm based here in Chicago. It's not as though Chicago. he's... I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, anyway, they have half, offices, half but... of MLS, like, high-powered people seem to have worked for Latham and Watkins at one point in time, <laughs> yeah. oddly enough. So Yeah, they also do work. They they do represent U.S. soccer. Latham and Watkins does. Um Though multiple law firms represent U.S. soccer, I should be clear about that. They're not the only one. So anyways, I, I have Garth at the top of my list of internal candidates. Um, the other one I think that you probably would mention, Porg Smith, who has done both. Um, you know, he, sit, he sits in on board meetings for Colorado Rapids, runs the sporting department, has his hand in the business side. Much different budget structure there for Porg, who... You know, obviously came to MLS from UEFA. He was working <laughs> slightly in different budget. Than the working in the accounting department. It's a bit of a different club, Atlanta United and Colorado slightly Rapids. Different. Um, yeah. So that would be the big question on Porig. One other name that I thought was interesting that was in MLS circles, but has been out of the game for a while. But when I was trying to think of the what Darren Eels represents to Atlanta United, how forward-facing he was, how much of a marketer he was, how good he was at selling the product. Nick Skavich? The name that came to mind was Phil Rollins. <laughs> Phil Rollins in Orlando built that club from nothing, had that club incredibly, incredibly successful until he needed more cash to get them over the top and into Major League Soccer. And when that happened, he found Flavio Augusta da Silva, who bought the club. And the things that spun out of control in Orlando 
spun out of control after that. When when Phil Rollins gave up some of the power to the primary owner, as he should have. But when he was in charge of things, I experienced it firsthand, you know, living in Orlando at the time and covering them. And even before I covered them when they were in USL, it was incredibly successful, incredibly well run. His ability to create partnerships politically in the corporate world and with fans and media was fantastic. I always talk about Phil Rollins was one of the best salesmen I've ever come across. He was just incredible at it. You know, would he be an option for like a shorter term hire? Like if you want to groom, I have a name down here, you know, Demetrius F. Tao. I don't know how to, Demetrius is going to probably. It wasn't that. It's not that. Demetrius will get his, well, someone will tell him how badly I butchered his name and he will uh, probably maybe find a way he'll to hear it. Him. Who knows? Maybe he's a listener. Maybe he listens. We get surprised every day. With you know what? I I hope I can bring Demetrios onto this show one day, and just to teach us one how to pronounce his name, and two, you know, what are the worst stories? Uh, Tell people who Demetrios is, Paul. So he was a VP um, in the player department of Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. Was hired by Atlanta United to essentially run the budget side of the sporting department there. Um, you know, in a similar role to what Paul McDonough was doing, but more focused, I think, on the cap and on on those numbers. Um, again, also has a background as a lawyer, um, worked in the, the the corporate HQ environment, you know, prior to MLS and then in MLS as well. You know, is he someone who would be ready now to step into the president role? Maybe. But if you don't think he is and if you think but you think he might be eventually you know, I, I don't know. I think Phil Rollins would be an interesting hire. I think it certainly would be worth talking to him. Orlando City fans wouldn't be very happy with him, but he was really, really, really good at his job in Orlando. Really good. And this is also a guy who built a multi-million dollar business um, in England, but, you know, gave him enough money to to kind of come to the U.S. and do what he's done. I mean, he's, he's a successful businessman as well. So that was a, that was a name that popped up in my mind. Um, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit back at a couple of things there real quick. Sure. First, you know I hear you on the business side; it's important, um, no doubt. But soccer drives business, especially when you have a club that has the fan base and that has the infrastructure that Atlanta United has. If the soccer team is good, that stadium is going to be full, and there are going to be plenty of sponsors on board, and, and that will I'm not going to say take care of itself, but one will drive the other. So I think it's important in that way to hire somebody here who can really help organize the soccer side and get a real long-term strategic plan going in that regard. So I would lean in that direction for this hire. If I am Arthur Blank, I am obviously not Arthur Blank, but that's the direction I would lean. And if you're going to go that way, I think another name, two other names worth mentioning. I don't know if either of them would even be interested. Tim Bezbachenko has had a ton of success. He's done it at a big club in Toronto. Um, he runs both sides in Columbus. Maybe, you know, it's his hometown, so I would be surprised if he left, but maybe you could tempt him. Who knows? Um, and then Dave Lee from NYCFC. City Football Group, it's a very different organization, but I think he's widely respected as one of the top GMs in MLS at this point in time. Um, obviously won MLS Cup. Last year, assembled a really good squad that is having a ton of success so far this season. Would he maybe be interested in in kind of raising his own profile outside of the umbrella of CFG, potentially? Or maybe maybe he sticks there and maybe they make him some promises down the road about maybe a, a future destination across the pond. 
but I don't know. I think it would yeah. be worth considering um, because I really do think, Paul, the soccer side has to drive this one because the soccer side in Atlanta has not been good enough really since Tata left. Yeah. Well, know? I think I think it's worth pointing out that any one of these people can come in and and hire a new CSO, right? You can still go and try to hire Dave Lee as a CSO. Maybe. I mean, Carlos Bocanegra is under contract for quite a while. Right. But you, you can either stay with him or you can move mm-hmm. on from him. And there's two, two there's two options there. Yeah. Um, a couple. I have four other names. I'm going to run through really quickly. Four other. Four others. Do you want to save some of these for your article? And make no. them pay for it. No. They people can find it everywhere. Will Wilson, CEO, former CEO of U.S. Soccer. He's stepping down. Longtime executive of Major League Soccer, Soccer United Marketing, Wasserman Media. Very business side, but has worked in the business side of soccer for a long time. Um, though at Wasserman, he did a lot of other stuff besides soccer. I think he was very involved in the NFL side at Wasserman specifically. Ali Curtis in the league office, um, you know, formerly worked for both Red Bull and Toronto on the soccer side of things, but, and now he's doing a lot with MLS Next Pro and some other things in the league office. Anastasia uh, Danias, uh, Anastasia Danias, she's the, uh, I always say <laughs> Anastasia, I, I always go with like the, the, I'm, the lat- Latino style of pronouncing names that I, uh, I don't know why I do that. Is it Anastasia? Um, I think it's Anastasia, but I said Anastasia. Yeah, it would be Anastasia. It's the same thing that my daughter does now. Everyone's name. She has a, you know, Landon. She, you know, my friend Andy was in town recently. Andy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And another name. Is your voice as deep as yours? Yeah. No, it's not. Uh, I was not going to impersonate Jane's voice on this podcast. Um, And then the last one that I thought would be an interesting interview was, is Kathy Carter. Another former major league soccer executive with a lot of experience in the business world. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I think it's worth mentioning her as a qualified executive that that would be worth an interview. And certainly, um, you know, I think those three names would diversify a little bit of the candidates that you're looking yeah, yeah, for yeah, absolutely. as well. So, um, all right, Paul, this segment's been going on for a while. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back afterwards with some MLS free agency talk. And I also want to talk one of our favorite topics on the show, the Chicago Fire, staying on the executive train for a little minute longer. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We're about to break down the list of MLS free agents that was released earlier this week. But before we get there, I just want to put a bow on that discussion that we had in the first segment. Paul, speaking of the executive carousel around MLS, Brian Sandalo of the Chicago Sun-Times interviewed Joe Mansueto, Chicago Fire owner, I believe before the team beat the Seattle Sounders over the weekend. Uh, and he asked him about GM George Heights. Um, Heights, is, his contract is up at the end of the year. He's been in Chicago since before the 2020 season. I think we can all agree that he arrived in a very, very, very difficult circumstances, given the short runway that he had and the mandate that he had 
before the team moved into Soldier Field to kind of go out and make some splashes. Um, that said, it has not gone well. Uh, they had the two years with Barrich and Jimenez and Ignacio Aliceta. Uh, those two years did not go well. They fired Rafael Wicke the end of last season or towards the end of last season. Ezra Hendrickson has taken over this year. They signed Jordan Shakiri, got rid of Barrich, got rid of Aliceta. Things haven't really improved. They're still really struggling. I believe the tally now, Paul, for Heights' tenure in – you know, a COVID shortened season in 2020, a regular season in 21, and then more than half a season this year. I think he's got 80 points in 78 games in, in regular season action, which is not exactly an inspiring record. And that is with two wins in a row for the fire. So 74 points through 76 games before those two wins. Um, Brian Sandalo asked Mansueto about heights. And I'm just going to read the quote. I'm a fan of George's. I get along with him very well. He has a very strong soccer mind, very knowledgeable about the game, smart guy, experienced. I think he's really talented at discovering young talent. You look at John Duran or any of the signings, Chicos, Federico Navarro, bringing on Chris Mueller and Jairo Torres. Um, you know, it's, it's a complimentary quote. He went on to say later on, that certainly the fire's place in the standings doesn't reflect the size of the payroll, which is near the top of the league. But I would point out that the season's not over. Let's let the season play out. We still have 13 games left, so there's a lot of season to go. The story's not over yet for this year. I'm still optimistic that we'll make the playoffs. Uh, I outlined kind of the credentials off the top. Can you make that quote make sense to me? No, I, I, I can't because it doesn't make sense. Look, I mean, I guess it makes sense in the sense that... In- He's not going to throw his guy under the bus while he's still employed. You're not going to come out and do that. One, two, some of those things might be true. You know, George Heights could be a good guy and a smart guy. And I mean, he had a ton of success in Switzerland. Yeah. yeah, He's had a lot of success in Switzerland, but the, the the fact of the matter is that they've done a poor job building the roster twice. I, I happen to think that they made some mistakes that were partly of their doing and partly of the regime before them, you know, Nelson Rodriguez, when he left as sporting director, he was still there as the president. And basically he emptied that roster out. And at the time he said he was doing that to help the next person to take over. But then he was a part of the search for that executive. And George Heights wasn't hired until late November or early December. And he ended up having mid-December, mid-December. He ended up having like four weeks or or so until preseason was supposed to start to build almost an entire roster. And And hire a coach. And hire a coach. And it wasn't just that the there were no dps on the roster i mean right at the end of that before he stepped down as sporting director and moved off of that role he traded dax mccarty for pennies on the dollar to nashville you know they 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 evaluated and thought dax wasn't a starter you know dax has started for three consecutive years now for a playoff team in nashville so you know and that by the way how does that trickle down well then that means that you have a number six role that you have to fill. And that leads to signing Gaston Jimenez, who has been, in my opinion, a disaster of a signing. It's just not, not a good enough Not player. a number six, really. Yeah. And so you, if you don't do that move, you probably say, okay, I've got all of these other things to build. By I'm the way, if Jimenez was next to Dax, I bet he would play a lot better. Yeah. It's just all of these things that have trickled down effects. But all of that aside, I'm not going to say that they haven't made mistakes they have. And and you can name four guys like, like Joe Mansueto did that are decent or that are kind of TBD. Like John Duran is very TBD until he scored a bunch of, a couple goals in the last few games. I would have said that he was a negative mark, not a positive mark. I would say an intriguing he's, prospect. He's, he's 18 years old. So we don't, we don't know yet, 
Uh, Fede Navarro, I'm a fan of him. I, I like him as a player. Um, who are the he other spends names a lot of mentioned? money on him. Jairo Torres. Jairo Torres, we don't Rafael know yet. And, and Chris yeah. Mueller is, is kind of the one guy to me is probably the best signing under George Heights is, is the Chris Mueller signing. So there are more names than bad than good. And I think the, the we know that because we can just look at the standings. Um, the fire need there will change is necessary in this offseason. And and if it's not going to be George Heights, I don't know what it is. But you know, George Heights is there, Sebastian Pelzer's the technical director. I think it's clear that there has to be a change and at bare minimum, it needs to be a significant change in strategy and how they go about these signings, how they build this team, yeah. what they do to build teams, who's creating these player profiles. Because, you know, I look at this roster this year, you know, Ezra Hendrickson very clearly wants to play a 4-2-3-1. For the first, you know, 11 weeks of the season, this looked like a team that was more suited to play a 4-4-2 based on the players who are on the roster. So, you know, there, there needs to be some change at the fire. But it, the, the quote, did it surprised me and it didn't. I, I know that Mansueto likes George Heights. I know that they have a good relationship. And George Heights has had a lot of success in Switzerland. And Joe Mansueto bought a team in Switzerland that has been successful since, you know, since Heights and Pelzer have, have started signing players there too. So, you know, I, I think he's looking at this beyond just the MLS picture. Yeah. Multi-club model, which we will talk more about later in the show. <laughs> but, Paul, let's transition. MLS free agents. You wrote an article, came out yesterday, kind of outlining the top 10. Uh, take us through some of the more intriguing names ones that stuck out to you, um, ones that maybe didn't, uh, where you think we might see some movement, all of that stuff. Well, I think the two top names to me stood out the most um, because center back is a really, really hard position to recruit in Major League Soccer. So Aaron Long's Alex Callens of the two New York teams, respectively, Red Bull and NYCFC, both set to be free agents, both around the same age. Aaron Long's 29, Callens is 30. Um Different profiles, but both have been very successful in Major League Soccer over the last few years. And I think both will have plenty of suitors. What's interesting is that Aaron Long wants Walker Zimmerman money. Alex Callens is on $750,000 for, for NYCFC. What will he be seeking? But I think both of them have the potential to get paid in Major League Soccer. And I think there's a, a real argument about which one is the number one free agent going into the offseason. I have, Alex, yes. I, I have uh, uh, Aaron Long there. I have Alex Callen second, but I think, you know, for many teams, they'll have those two names flip-flopped on their on their board. So those are the two names that stand out most to me. And then Daniel Shalloy, you know, still young, um, one of the younger free agents to come around. And we're going to start seeing younger and younger names pop up on this list as we get deeper into, into um, this form of free agency. You, you have to be 24 with five years of experience. Uh, but, you know, he, he's coming off of a fantastic year last year. I, I think he'll certainly have a few teams interested as well. Those are probably the three names that that stood out to me from the list. Were, were there guys that that you you looked at as, hey, this, this is a player who can change a team, or you know maybe the the typical player that we like to shout about that good MLS GMs go searching for? Sean Johnson. Hmm. I would be surprised if he ended up anywhere but New York City FC. You know, he captained that team to a championship, uh, so you know. He's obviously a huge figure there. Uh, however, you know, free agency is free agency. And if some other team makes him a better offer, he's 33. Like, this is probably his last big check that he's going to be getting. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you can make a play. Maybe if you're Atlanta United, 
you make a play. Brad Guzan, obviously, with his injury, who knows what he'll look like coming back. Johnson is from the Atlanta area. I think he was on Atlanta for like three hours once upon a time. He was. <laughs> Got traded from Chicago to Atlanta and then moved to NYCFC. Uh, one of the better goalkeepers in the league, a uh, really good locker room presence. Um, I think it would be wise to make a run at him if, if you are in need of a goalkeeper. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, it's it's long and it's counts for me. Like, I, I mean, I don't know exactly what St. Louis City is going to be doing with with the money that they have to play with. But if I'm them, I make a I make a big run at one at least one of those guys, and I'm I'm really saying I need to sign at least one of these guys. Um, that's a good good piece to have in the spine, and that's a good good place to be if you're an expansion team. Um, I don't know if Inter Miami is going to have any money, but if they do, why not go for Cayennes if you're them? Yeah. Yeah, I like Hines a lot. And and I would say NYCFC, this is what you start to see with trophy winning teams. Three key figures from their yeah. back line and, and goalkeeper all up in free agency. Anton Tinnerholm also going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He's just coming back from an Achilles injury, mm-hmm. um, but he will be a, a player who I think draws some interest as well. Um, two other intriguing names, older strikers, not sure what kind of money they're going to be looking for. But Jossie Zardes and Ola Kamara both are going yep. to be free agents at the end of the year. Both of them with a very good goal-scoring record in Major League Soccer. Both of them on very high salaries, above a million dollars. I don't think there are going to be any teams willing to pay them that much money. But I think if those players are willing to take, you know, seven hundred thousand dollars or somewhere in that neighborhood, five hundred to five fifty to seven hundred, seven fifty, I think there will be plenty of teams interested. And 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 yeah. that's not. I mean, I think seven fifty is realistic. I mean, I was looking back. You know, Will Brune was making five fifty last year for Seattle. So was he really? I would imagine that that Zardes and and um, Kamara w- would certainly be looking around the 750 mark. Yeah, uh, I mean, and if you're Ola Kamara, I think you have the numbers to justify that. He yeah. scored 19 goals last year in 28 games, 22 starts. A lot of those were penalties, but he still got 19 goals. This year, it's seven goals in only 938 minutes. That's a really good goal rate. Um, yeah. He's absolutely still a valuable piece in this league. It's just kind of what number, what does he want from his next step? and who might be interested. But if you're a team that's maybe going to be in the CONCACAF Champions League next year and wants some cover at striker, you could do a whole lot worse. You know, shoot, if I'm Seattle, maybe you make a run at him. I don't know. if it, we'll, we'll see. I don't know what Will Bruin's contract is or Freddie Montero's. Well, he, he dropped back down this no, this year. He's back. I think he's down into the 250 range. Right, um, but as so a backup to Rui Diaz, you know, that could be sure. intriguing. Like, um, that being said, maybe he wants to start. Maybe he wants a fair shot at that, uh, and maybe there will be other homes for him. Giassi's had a tougher year than Kamara, so I'd be—I don't know what the market will be like for him. He'll obviously find a home. Paul Jonathan Osorio—is he going to stay in Toronto? You think? Well, he's been there for a really long time. I saw Matt Doyle said, you know, this could be his last chance to make a move to Europe if that's what he wants to do as a free agent. You know, I think certainly. I think Montreal, that would come with a pretty significant pay cut. For sure. And Montreal and Vancouver should both be making big runs at him. It'll be um, the 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 calculus will be a little bit different for the American MLS team. So Sorio's Canadian. He's never played in the U.S., so he would count as an international. Um, I don't think he would be grandfathered in considering how long ago he was a TFC homegrown. Maybe he would yeah, be. Maybe. I don't know. Um, that would certainly change things for Osorio if, if 
he was counted as a domestic. I think he'll have plenty of suitors. And I think there are MLS teams in the U.S. who would say we're happy to spend an international slot on a guy who we know what he's going to yeah. give us in Major League Soccer. So, um, yeah, uh, he's a guy, again, I think it's going to come down to what price point is he looking for. Um, but, yeah, I could see a number of teams going for Osorio. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Greg Vanny I was going to say him into the, the Galaxy. Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, if you want to play with three in the middle, although they have Delgado and, and Revelison in there. So um, maybe a little bit redundant, but hey, wouldn't be it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. I think that was that was the sort of the main headliners for me. I just one other note on Shallowy. I would be surprised if he ended up elsewhere in MLS. I think for him, it's stay in Kansas City or go to Europe. Obviously, he's Hungarian international, has that passport. So he'll. I would assume he'll have some options over there. Um, but I don't think he would leave KC for another MLS club. Do you? One of the uh, one of the all time great homegrown signings in, in Major League Soccer. <laughs> yeah, him and Carlos Salcedo. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> Jesus, uh, hung- yeah. Hungarian grew up in Hungary, and all of a sudden he's a Kansas City homegrown because Peter Vermes played with his dad once yeah. upon a time. A Hungarian exchange student who came to Kansas City to yeah. to learn foreign exchange. Just so student. happened, yeah, just so happened to have his dad have played with Peter Vermes. Weird, uh, you know. Hey. You make those rules work, however you got to make them work. I guess. I mean, I'm not mad about it. I just, I just wish they could be a little more honest with it. You still know? one of my favorite, still one of my favorite moments, and one of my favorite signings of all time. Ali Bedoya, any chance he leaves Philly? Sure, I think there's a chance. I, you know, he he looks to me like a, a Sasha question like signing. I think Jim Curtin would. Love I mean, him. I don't think there's any chance Philly lets him leave. That's my thing. I, I think Jim yeah. Curtin finds him to be so valuable that they would probably match or surpass what anyone else is out there, but. You mentioned Miami, you know, Ali Bedoya is a South Florida guy. If Miami, if Miami came with the right offer and said, look, we need you in our locker room to help steady things. And, you know, you'll, you'll be back home playing. Yeah. They might be able to tempt him out of there. I could see that happening. Perhaps fun fact about me, Paul. And, you know, so it's actually the funnest kind of fact since it's about me. I not at the same time as these guys, but I actually ended up, I was at the same middle school is Alejandro Bedoya in Florida. And then the following year, the same junior high school as Michael Bradley in Illinois. So there you go. I was stalking American soccer figures. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were, they were like two or three years older than me. I was 12, but even then I was just trying to be around notable American soccer people. (laughs) Just destiny. You know, found yourself behind, Ala Bedoya waiting for a nice pub sub, you know, down the street from your house. Oh, man, I love a good pub sub. (laughs) Oh, God. This episode brought to you by pub subs. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Anyway, uh, let's take a break. I'm going to go eat some lunch, and then we'll we'll come back, and, and we'll talk about Tati Castellanos and Cristiano Rango. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul, two of the best teams in the league, potentially moving two of the best strikers in the league here in the coming weeks. The first one that we'll talk about, I think, looks pretty much like like it like an accomplished done type of deal. There have been quite a few reports that Tati Castellanos for my money, the best striker in the league at this point. Um, I love this guy as a player will end up with Hirona likely via Manchester city. Um, so sold to man city and then loaned to Hirona. Of course, all of those clubs are with the C- within the CFG umbrella as is NYCFC, um, which makes this move sort of curious and sort of weird and sort of different. So without it being official yet and without us, you know, having a press conference with Dave Lee or anybody else from NYCFC, can you break this thing down for us, Paul? Why would it work like this? Well, I mean, I think for the basic first part of it is they clearly feel that Tati Castellanos is worth more than the market feels he's worth right now. And they recognize or believe that if he goes and plays as successfully in Spain as he has in Major League Soccer, that they will get the money that they want for him, which has been, you know, they they were setting the price somewhere around $20 million, um, and there weren't any offers north of $15 million last year, right? That was a, the hang-up right. there. Um, so this is a chance to, to put him into a bigger league and, and hope that that increases the price. I think what's interesting to me about this, for NYCFC fans, it really doesn't matter as long as he sold for a million, you know, more than one point, essentially around 1.2 million or more. Cause then you can get your full amount of general allocation money. Should your ownership choose. I think it would have to be a that. little bit more than that, but yeah, we're splitting here. They're you know, paying him over the cap now and all of that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, my, once you recruit, recruit, whatever they're paying him over the cap that goes into ownership money. And then, and then the one, I think it's like 1.11 something million can now be turned into GAM. They'll you get have to also game. account for the 5% that the league takes. Once you hit that number, NYCFC fans should just be happy. Um, I think what's interesting is that this is happening now. You know, if, if you're, if you're NYCFC, if you're city football group and you, you say, okay, we're going to, this is like a longer term play to get the money we want. Why not let Tati finish the year? with NYCFC and do this in the winter. That's the only thing. I think that's fairly obvious. No. Like, I think, I think it's a situation where like they promised Tati Castellanos that they would move him in the summer. (laughs) 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 Like this is a guy who's been generating transfer interest from, from different places for over a year now. And he's been pretty public that he wants to go and he wants to test himself. And so I think they said, Tati stay with us through CONCACAF champions league and we will move you in the summer. And so I think this is the solution. Um, you know, this is one of the benefits of owning multiple clubs and having multiple clubs in the same ownership group is you can kind of do stuff like this, keep the player in the family, and maybe see his value rise for an eventual move for more money down the road. And I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens with how he does in Spain, but I have a lot of faith in him as a player. I think he's really quite good in in a lot of different facets. Um, He certainly has the mentality to go somewhere and work super hard and be super feisty. And I think, in my opinion, I think he'll score a decent amount of goals in Spain. And I think that this play will probably work. 
for CFG. And then eventually they'll get more money than, than they would have had they sold him outright in this window. So I don't know. I mean, it's a benefit for them from NYCFC standpoint, they'll get the allocation money that they want. And, uh, you know, down the road, CFG will line their coffers because they need even more money as we know, Paul. Yeah. Well, I would say that also, you know, the benefit of being a part of CFG is that NYCFC probably has everything worked out for what happens next. You know, who comes in to NYCFC, they've got players at smaller clubs in South America and around the world, players that they've been scouting. Um, and so they, they have a DP you know, spot as well. They have a DP spot as well. So they have succession plans in place. And, and that's, you know, that's the mark of a, of a well-run front office. And as you mentioned earlier, Dave Lee is considered one of the better GMs in the league. You know, he, if, you know, he's certainly been planning for this moment. I'm sure he's I mean, got multiple they have targets. Eber, you yeah. know? But they I'm sure you have still, you still have multiple targets for how you're going to improve yeah. your team when you lose an MVP. Yeah, and uh, we'll see what it does for their hopes for the remainder of the season. With him, I think it's fair to say they're an excellent, excellent chance to repeat with MLS Cup. Without him, it's going to take a hit. We'll see how they respond. Paul, potentially the more interesting one, maybe not more interesting, but... Um, more less straightforward one chichi arango at lafc there have been rumors there have been discussions since chris since christian bale since gareth bale was signed mainly that they might be looking to move him steve Chirundolo gave some i think less than complimentary quotes about arango after he scored a goal on the weekend um, basically, yeah, he finished, but we want him to do more of this pressing and we want him to do more in possession and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think in some ways, exploring and seeing what the market is makes sense. LAFC, unlike, say, Toronto FC, actually does want to turn a profit at some point. They're not so interested in just purely lighting money on fire. They were able to get Arango for pretty cheap out of Colombia. So if they're able to turn that into a, a haul of allocation money or a transfer fee that's two or three X what they paid, then you at least have to explore that option. So I understand that. Having said that, he has, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six. He has six goals in his last seven games for LAFC. Um, he has a ton of goals since he arrived at the midway point of last season. Is he a perfect player? No. Could he do more in possession? And could he do more with his pressing to make Steve Chirundolo a little bit happier. Sure. No player is perfect, but he does the most important thing that you want a striker to do. And he's doing it really, really well right now. <laughs> he's going to have tons of chances when Bale and Vela get up and running even more than he's getting now. And I think while LAFC has an open DP spot and while they're maybe looking at this situation and saying, hey, we're not just trying to do MLS Cup this year, but we're trying to do CONCACAF Champions League next year. And then we're trying to sustain after that and not have a fall off after CONCACAF Champions League next season. I, I understand that. I understand the idea that, hey, we got bail on TAM for a year. The whole point of having him on TAM is so we can go out and sign another DP. Where are we going to sign another DP? Well, number nine. That's where we need it. So I get some of the thinking here, but I think it's overthinking. And I think you don't want to mess with something that, that ain't broke. Yeah. 
I'm not sure they're going to. I'm not sure they're going to. They might not. They might not. But I think it would be a mistake, honestly, if they did. Yeah. Don't take for granted how hard it is to find a forward that can score goals for you consistently. And that's what Arango's doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, you risk a lot of things. You you risk upsetting the chemistry on the on the field. You risk um, signing a striker who's a very good striker but takes time to adjust during a season in which you have a chance that, to win MLS Cup. If you sign a guy today, assuming he's not an American player, uh, and I, I think it's fair to say there is not an American striker in the world who would be an upgrade on Arango at this point in time. Um, so assuming he's not American, he needs a visa. It's going to take a few weeks. By the time he gets in and gets settled and gets fit, you're talking about August 10th. You got two months left in the regular season at that point. If you want to make a move for next year for CCL for all that stuff, great. Do it in the offseason. You're gonna you're gonna, I think, kneecap yourself a little bit this year if you do it. Yeah. I did see a report out there today, or maybe it was last night, that Brian Rodriguez, there was an offer for him. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there are more moves um coming for LAFC. I don't know. Uh, but certainly, I think they're willing to move guys, like you said, for the right prices at the right moments. But I think I think they should be focused on MLS Cup. Like that's yeah. the thing that they haven't won yet. That's the thing they really need. And and I think Arango at this point in time, at this for this season, gives you the pan- best chance of doing that. Yeah. And lastly, there was um, reports out of Miami today that Mat- Matias Pellegrini is in Miami training. This poor team. guy. Uh, Pellegrini, of course, was was <laughs> sent on loan down to Estudiantes in Argentina. He was uh, moved as the fourth DP in the in the fourth DP, uh, fifth DP, sixth DP. Who remembers yeah, in the Matuidi scandal? What's interesting, by the way, is that they bought out Pellegrini and loaned him to Argentina. Their young prospect who had played half a season um, of COVID ball and then COVID you know, ball w- was considered a, a bust by by people. They, they, they buy him out and loan him out, and then a year later buy out Matuidi. They keep Matuidi, and then a year later buy him out. Like The, the obvious solution there was, was there from the jump. Buy out Matuidi, take your lumps, and keep the kid who you have a chance to resell for value. Instead, they moved those, those young ones on. One of them just got bought by five, for $500,000 by Philadelphia Union while he's scoring goals in Carranza, and now Pellegrini is back from Argentina looking for his next place. The reports are that um, the the Miami ownership group would like to move him um, to Spain where they, they have a, a second division team, Real Zaragoza, uh, but that Pellegrini would prefer to go back to Argentina or stay in MLS. And that is the intriguing one to me. Technically, he was bought out. According to MLS rules, he should go through waivers when you're bought out. Um, you know, an example of that is a DP, Yoram Mavzissian, was bought out by Real Salt Lake a while back. Chicago Fire claimed him like six or seven months later after he had gone out on loan. Gio De Santos went on waivers. He came back and and played for seven games for the Fire. Sometimes the league decides they use their discretion to overrule any of their own rules. This could be a case of that where they say this player is going to be on waivers, but no one is allowed to claim him. But what would be interesting? Well, he is- wasn't. He was not. I reported when this all went down. He was not put on waivers at the time of the buyout. Well, so. if that's the case, then that is the league using their discretion to overrule their own rules, which which they did in the case of mixed discrude. If anyone remembers, right. that. and it probably makes sense in that they're saying, "Listen, we're we're punishing you with two plus million of allocation and fines and all of that. We're not going to have you lose a player that you paid significant amount of money for." Um, but now, if he wants to go to MLS, I think it would be interesting how the league handles that. Like, should Miami be allowed to find a trade partner 
for a player that they bought out or would they now put the player through waivers as he was supposed to go through but either way an mls team would be getting a young dp on a on a, a budget deal a guy who's played 30 something odd games um in argentina over the last year or so didn't put um, up a ton of numbers down there didn't put up a ton of numbers um but you know if you're if you're bringing him on for 200,000 or something like that might be worth a look for the back half of the season if you need some depth. I wonder um, if they would allow another loan like they did with Carranza. Yeah. I mean, that, um, that's the question is, does Miami still own his MLS rights after buyout? That, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really in the weeds allocation disorder stuff. <laughs> I'm very interested to see how it plays out. I think he does stay in MLS. I think at the time he was not allowed to play in MLS. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm reading an article that I wrote. Being bought off Miami's salary budget also means that Miami cannot trade or loan him elsewhere in MLS. There you go. Right. So but because he's supposed to go through waivers. And so now I'm oh I'm just interested, do they allow him to go through waivers or not? Paul, I have a question. Why have rules if you selectively enforce them? Yeah, it's it's uh there's there's so many questions about this league that we'll never have the answer to, Sam. Like, do you selectively enforce rules with your children? Yes, all the time. And they're probably nightmares. They're they're both nightmares. Yeah, see? There you go. I mean, I don't, even, I don't even know. If I had a gavel, I would bang it. And Court these MLS teams are not as order. cute as my children. <laughs> I think on that note, we can wrap <laughs> up this show. Brought to you by Paul's Nightmare Children. Just kidding. Um, I'm sure they're lovely, although I've never met them. You know, one day. I FaceTimed them once. It's great. Um, anyway, I don't know what... What? I don't know what happened. This is <laughs> an allocation real. disorder. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time.